Thank you very much, Mina. Thank you for your beautiful prayer, Michelle. Uh, thank you for the praise team, too, for leading us in a wonderful time of praise. A new year has begun, and it began with new hopes. But in many ways, the turbulence of the past year doesn't seem to be past us yet. We're still living through a time of great turbulence. It's like we're on an airplane, you know, flying through stormy skies. Just when we hope for a smooth patch of sky, we hit another storm and more turbulence rocks our plane. I know it's been a long time since most of us have been on an airplane, but I think we still remember this image, right? We've been through a lot of emotional turbulence, and each jolt of it triggers our anxiety. And that's why Michelle's prayer was so wonderful, to turn these anxieties into prayer. When times are turbulent, we seek leaders and voices that can assure us, calm us, and give us a sense that all will be okay. We rely on leaders to guide us and lead us. We seek leaders we can trust and follow. And we become disappointed and angry when they let us down. Maybe fragmentation of the media is one reason, but we don't really seem to have many moral voices that we can all rally around. You know, larger than life figures like Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi, Mother Teresa, and Nelson Mandela have faded from our midst. Leaders like that give us a compass to navigate hard times. When we lack moral leaders we can trust and rely on, it leaves us anxious and uneasy when times are turbulent. It was in a turbulent time like this that John the Baptist appeared. It had been 400 years since the last true prophet had lived. The prophets had been moral voices to tell Israel where they were going wrong and to lead them back to who they were supposed to be. And they weren't always appreciated or liked. Many, in fact, were killed. But they were nonetheless moral compasses for the people. But for the last 400 years, there was a void of this leadership that could show people the way. So out of this void emerged John the Baptist, this wild man in the wilderness, eating locusts and clothed in camel's hair, became a moral compass for the people of Judea. He hit a nerve that drew people from the whole country. The message that hit this nerve was a simple one. Repent for the forgiveness of sins. The repentance he proclaimed is not just merely feeling bad for the things that they had done. It was a repentance aimed at healing ruptured relationships in the community. Because, you know, for the past 400 years, the Jews, they had faced continuous strain politically, economically, socially, and spiritually. This constant strain and turmoil affected relations in the community right down to the intimate family levels. 
John was calling people to turn away from the things that were ruining relationships in their families and communities. Repentance was a call to change their hearts and conduct, to seek forgiveness for the things they did to one another. It was a call to seek God's mercy and power to change so that they might repair and restore their relationships with one another and be a people of God once again. The disciple John wrote this, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And from this, I realized when something blocks love, that is sin. When love is blocked, we are separated from God and others, right? Because God is love. And that's what sin is, to be separated from God. And so sin, therefore, is whatever blocks love and repentance is removing whatever blocks love. Repentance is removing whatever blocks love. So ask yourself, what is blocking love in you? You know, time flies. This is going to be, this year will be the 10th anniversary of me and Deb. Time flies, really. We've had many good moments, but we've also had many difficult ones, too. In these difficult moments, it really felt like our love for one another was blocked. You know, anger or frustration, resentment, and despair, it would block love from flowing between us. You know, these were our sins. But over the years, we've started to recognize and identify some of these things that might have been blocking that love from flowing. You know, things that have been shaped by our past experiences and our own families, the own hurts and pains we have. You know, what we thought was the other person's problem was really our own issues that we hadn't dealt with. Sins that remained in us. Repentance entails an honest examination of the things that are blocking love and seeking God's power to change and remove these things one by one so that our love can flow more freely. The black scholar and intellectual Cornell West once said this, justice is what love looks like in public. So, there's love at our intimate, personal level. And there is love at the public level. And they're both important because we live in both of these worlds. And as long as love is missing in either of these dimensions, then our lives are not complete. That is what Martin Luther King Jr. meant when he said that we are all tied together in a single garment of destiny. As we look at the public, there's so many things blocking love in public. 
I'm sure like many of you, I've been so disturbed by the events of the past week that took place in Washington, D.C. And I'm, I'm still processing many things in my mind. <clears throat> but I, for me, more than these affronts to democracy, the disregard for truth, and the attempts to exert power through violence, I think what's most disturbing to me is how rooted all of these things have been in the fundamental issue in America, that of race and racism. I mean, when I think about it, at the end of the day, race is the root issue of really everything in America. Racism is what blocks love in public. It is truly the root of so much of the injustice that we see. I mean, this whole premise of the stolen election is focused on the supposed fraudulent votes in predominantly African-American cities and regions. Every undertone of grievance has had deep connections, ultimately, with race. I mean, the incoming president, Joe Biden, merely voiced the obvious when he said that if this mob were a group of Black Lives Matter protesters, they would have been riddled with bullets way before they even got to the gates. Racism is the original sin of America. And so much of the present reality in the West is rooted in race. It is a root sin of the entire West. And Canada is not an exception. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love this country. I'm so thankful to be a Canadian. And I'm thankful that my parents came and that I've experienced so much opportunity and abundance. And I think that overall, Canada is a very generous country. But what we see in public is not love for all. I mean, our history is rooted in the subjugation of our indigenous people, and the effects of that history are still borne out today in our communities. Race and the history of its implications are lived out daily in the lives of our black, indigenous, and other peoples of color. And most of us may have read, Jenny Kim recently shared, and we posted on our website, about the experiences of a black manager at her workplace and their discouraging attempts to address the situation. You know, we often point out that things in Canada don't seem as overt and extreme as the United States. But you know what? These daily experiences of racism <clears throat> still have a very corrosive effect on those who experience it. It makes people feel like their lives are less valuable and important. I mean, it's so absurd in many ways. We are all God's children. That's what we proclaim. And if we are all God's children, equally beloved by our Creator, why is love given to some, but taken away from others? Whose lives matter in America and the West? We need to seriously examine ourselves and honestly look at what is blocking love in public. We need to remove whatever blocks injustice. Racism and our indifference towards it 
are big blocks to justice. As I think about our own community, I don't know, I realize I think Koreans have had a very interesting experience with race in Canada. And we've all navigated this issue very tenderly. I know we've all had very different experiences when it comes to race and how we've responded to it is also very different. And I'll be the first to admit that my own views stem from my own experiences that are not necessarily what others have experienced. But my general observation is that somehow Koreans have been very hesitant to be vocal about issues of race. And perhaps we've even kind of minimized the extent uh, of this issue. And when I think about it, I don't know, I think there's a lot of fear. Fear of not wanting to stick out or cause trouble. Fear rooted in many things, like our history. Fear rooted in a deeply ingrained inferiority complex that's arisen from our history of weakness and powerlessness. Somehow, many of us came to believe that the best we can do is to simply survive by keeping our heads down, not raising a fuss, and carving out a safe space within the society. Fear drove us to seek safety and security as our top priorities. Fear is what makes protecting these spaces we've carved out for ourselves remain a top priority. The message we've internalized is to not rock the boat, to stay in our lane, just get along and enjoy my rewards. This fear has snuffed out our desire for justice. It's made us indifferent to the way things are or made us feel powerless to do anything about it. Fear and indifference block us from love, from seeking justice. And I know what all this feels like firsthand. You know, as a lawyer, my duty was to advocate first and foremost for my clients. And I was passionate about issues of justice, as, as I saw what many blacks and other racialized uh, people went through. The reality is, in the courtroom, I was often one of the very few, if not only, racialized minorities in that courtroom. The judges, crown attorney prosecutors, and courtroom staff were often all white. I mean, as multicultural as our society is, the power structure is still very white. And there's one moment among others that stands out in my mind where a judge began saying things to uh, my black client who had his charges dropped. I mean, he had his charges dropped, not guilty, innocent. But he started saying some patronizing things to him, rooted in what I felt were assumptions based on his race and background. I could start feeling the anger bubble up within me, and I knew I should say something. I mean, after all, who else could advocate for him there but his own lawyer? But being honest, before this white male judge, I felt inferior and powerless, and I became afraid. I was more afraid of maintaining my standing with those in power than I was of advocating for my client. My fear overcame my desire for justice 
and I remained silent. It was not my finest or proudest moment. Fear blocks out desire for justice. Fear makes us small. Fear makes us self-centered. Fear makes us indifferent and silent. We need to repent from our fear and be opened up by God's Spirit so that our love can flow more freely in public as well. Martin Luther King Jr. often quoted this verse from Amos, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. That is what we need. That comes from the Spirit. There's a Hebrew concept, a word called tikkun olam, which means repair of the world. I mean, tikkun olam is what underlies our entire faith. It's behind God's call to Abraham, to the law given to Moses and the Israelites, to the prophets who preached justice with holy fire. Tikkun olam was what John the Baptist was preparing the people for. And Jesus' baptism by the Holy Spirit that we see in today's passage was the beginning of his mission to repair the world. The church and its people are called and empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue that mission begun by Jesus. We are called to tikkun olam. The Holy Spirit fills us and opens up our lives to do this. And it begins with the call to repentance, to remove all that blocks love. The scene in the wilderness that we see today was a mass movement of repentance, of people coming together to seek God's forgiveness and power to remove the things blocking love in them. And as I reflected on this scene, it brought to me, to my mind, events of the great Pyongyang revival of 1907. Pyongyang, which is now the capital of North Korea. Almost 114 years ago to this day, in January of 1907, something remarkable happened. I mean, God came down in an amazing way to the Korean people that would change the course of history and lead us to where we are. I mean, this too was a very turbulent time in Korean history. And people were anxious and in pain. This time, missionaries from Canada and native Korean Christians were praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit for revival and repentance. One night at a gathering, a minister stood up and began to confess all of his sins in front of everyone. As he did so, he started breaking down in tears and agony. And from that, a tidal wave began of confession and repentance. One by one, these proud Korean men would come up and publicly start confessing their sins, what they had done to others, the hatred they harbored for the Japanese, 
all these other things that they had in their hearts, they started pouring out. And one by one, they all began to weep and pound the floors in agony, and the whole room shook. It's like all the pain of sin and brokenness in their hearts were released, and the Holy Spirit came down upon them. The room was filled with sounds of crying, prayers, and wailing. And it was truly like the room uh, in Jerusalem at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit swept through the room. This revival lasted over a month and swept the countryside, much like it did with John the Baptist in the wilderness. The Holy Spirit came, a community was formed, and the church was born in Korea. Confession and repentance were at the very heart of this revival. The ministry of John the Baptist was a reverse journey from the promised land, which is in Judea, back out to the wilderness. John was calling the people to go back to the wilderness where they had once been formed as the people of God. In the wilderness, they reoriented their lives back to God and turned away from the things that had fractured all their relationships. We are in our own time of wilderness right now. It's not necessarily of our own choosing, but it is the situation we're in. In a time of anger, division, and hatred, as Michelle prayed, we need to let love flow. In this turbulent time, we need to repent from what blocks our love. We need our own revival where God tears open the heavens and comes down to us. This is the year for us to open wide, to turn our anxieties into prayer, to open our mouths wide in praise. And let us now add to that, to repent from whatever is blocking love in our hearts. Let us do that, and God will tear open the heavens and come down to us so that we can do God's work of repairing this world. Let us sing together.